0: Hi there, welcome back to the Bet on Yourself podcast. This week, I'm taking a different format as I'm sharing with you some of the core segments from a master's course I'm currently teaching on the secrets of Silicon Valley at a university in Barcelona. In this course, I'm presenting the methods and systems of success that can be replicated anywhere in the world to disrupt any market and achieve success. And yes, I mean anywhere. In this course, I've brought in the smartest people I know and asked them of their own secrets of success. This week, we'll be talking with Suhair Khan about recognizing misalignments and trusting the path you're on, even through failure and disappointment. Let's get started. Suhair works on strategy at Google, and over the last decade at Google, she has had numerous successful global initiatives and partnerships at Google Arts and Culture, in addition to working on other teams and projects globally. Don't be mistaken; Suhair's path wasn't as linear as it sounds. She started her career early in investment banking in Wall Street before realizing this wasn't where her passions lied.
1: So I um, I grew up between Europe and Pakistan and. My mom is Indian, my dad's from Pakistan, so I've kind of always had a little bit of a tension, I guess, in that. Um, I went to college in America, and I joined Google about 11 years ago in San Francisco in Mountain View. Um, I had just finished my master's in international development, uh, so I was really interested in emerging markets. It was like a very sort of economics heavy program uh, at the Kennedy School at Harvard. And I had got into it off the back of a couple of years of investment banking on Wall Street in New York, where I was working on equity derivatives and structuring convertible debt right before the financial crisis. And um, to be honest, like, you know, it was just right before the financial crisis is a very legendary time on Wall Street. And I realized very early on that my own values were just not aligned to a life spent in that kind of job. But to be honest, also as I've got older, I've become much less judgmental about people choosing careers that make sense for them. So um, I yeah, so I joined Google a little bit by accident. I was um, actually planning to do a PhD in economics and I was writing um, papers on macroeconomics in emerging markets. And um, I realized that it would be very lonely um the first six months were really isolating and then I got one paper published which was like my dream and it wasn't as exciting or it didn't make me as happy as I thought that it would so I started sending my CV out to recruiters and tell me when I'm saying too many words and just interrupting um and then somehow someone at Google got in touch with me and and that's you know I, I went to Mountain View for the interview and um you know there was like little cycles everywhere and people in backpacks and everyone was so friendly and nice and there was free food everywhere so it was one of those like really unplanned and unstrategic decisions but also frankly it felt very strongly obviously at that time that um, this was the place that I had to be Um, everything was happening you know at the time in in Silicon Valley and um, there is something about that on-campus experience that you can't replicate and there's a reason I think that you know, companies like Google continue to foster the office as uh, a place where they want to bring people together. And um, so I started off in uh, early stage business development, I was working um, with a couple of teams, one of them was um, this uh, amazing executive, and she was working on um, partnerships, I guess, for uh, products like uh, the self-driving car and, um, you know, millions of other things. And so she was sort of my first window into what it meant uh, to see technology and, and the magic of it, um, i come on to do more of a strategy kind of role, strategy and BD, and just like open up all the doors and the sorts of people that she had on her team at the time, many women, I still remember that she had a lot of women on her team, very inspiring. And then very early on, I got involved with two uh, projects. One was the Google Arts project, which was just coming off the ground. And the second was the Emerging Markets team, which at Google was at the time based all over the world um, and in Singapore there was a the, there was a role that no longer exists at Google called the business product manager and that team for emerging markets was based in Singapore so I ended up taking a bit of a gamble. Um, I thought I'd end up going straight into moving to London and joining the arts and culture team full-time. full-time I actually had a job offer um, and I then turned it down and moved to Singapore and I was there for three or four years working on early stage partnerships in emerging markets. So Google was working on products um, from social messaging, new kinds of you know strategy around social messaging, way before Facebook acquired WhatsApp. Um, so you know part of my job was literally just to spend time on apps like Line and Viber and Kakao Talk and uh, think about what we could share with the Google Hangouts team that was in Mountain View at the time. Um, which was also very interesting because what an engineer sitting in Mountain View Understands about internet connectivity and people's access to data is very different from you know when you're on the ground uh, in a developing country. So I did, anyway, I did that for a few years, and then I moved full time to London to work on Google Arts and Culture, which is an uh, online platform where we help to digitize the collections of art museums. Um, and I worked there for five or six years, and then about a year and a half ago, right before COVID, I changed to move to uh, our business operations and strategy team. So much more sort of traditional MBA consulting kind of role.
0: Her purpose and values have been carefully developed over the years. And last year, outside of her full-time job at Google, Suhair founded Open-Ended Design, a new platform for conversations in design, tech, and culture.
1: Okay. So yeah, so um, basically two years, a year and a half ago now, um, I kicked off this project called Open-Ended Design. Um Open-ended design is basically also a platform that helps to elevate the voices and stories of uh, activists in the field of design from around the world. I don't use the word design lightly. For me, technology is very much design. Um, you know, in, in, in almost every way, uh, and. Uh, you know, sort of the biggest kind of lens of this project is really bringing together a diverse set of voices in a way that doesn't really exist uh, on the forums that we have right now in technology, arts, culture, design. So uh, it's a, it's mostly podcasts, so conversation and content with individuals and leaders in their fields from around the world. This includes curators, artists, uh, architects, technologists, uh, and beyond. And the idea is to showcase their stories and their work and Every single person that we have involved or engaged has had a very interdisciplinary career. And for me, that is really something that we need to continue to highlight. I think that we're going to have to be a lot more flexible in terms of how we pivot from one job or job type to another in the next so many decades. But equally, um, I think the world that I know of tech is extremely siloed. You don't have enough conversation and uh, even sort of tension between uh, the creative fields and science and technology. Uh, But equally, you know, when you work on projects, things like, you know, the self-driving car, for example, um, you know, it's a bunch of really smart engineers and scientists in a room. But equally, you know, I wonder in hindsight, should we have had philosophers or behavioral scientists or, uh, you know, psychologists or whatever else as part of a conversation to really think about what does it mean to design a vehicle uh, that's not just better than every other vehicle out there or smarter, uh, but equally makes people feel comfortable. And so um, I think that's really was the genesis for this. And um, I also have felt that people in the creative industries are very intimidated by technology, even very baseline, whereas like artificial intelligence immediately trigger thoughts of them losing their job or their career. Uh, Things like designing with augmented reality, immersive reality in mind, Uh, again, uh, take for example, an architect from uh, the idea of creating a building to having an experience around a building as opposed to thinking about designing in a virtual world. So I really have been interested in seeing how we can push um, creative people to feel more confident and seeing technology as a tool. So this was kind of the start of that is showcasing voices um, that have been able to cross divides, whether they're tech related or not, uh, and to tell their stories in an expansive way and to showcase things like, you know, things that are inspired by or interested in. Um, I have a team of very young people working with me, and it's really opened up the doors to me of the issues that are relevant uh, to young people around the world, which I have to be honest, I feel like are quite different from the issues that uh, when I graduated from university, I was focused on. Um, and I've also been teaching last year at two um, design schools in the UK, one is Central St. Martins, and the second is the Architectural Association, on this idea of designing uh, for
0: technology. It leads to a profound lesson. Finding joy and happiness in your work is much easier once you know where your values lie and you surround yourself with people who build you up. One thing that stands out to me is just how purposeful Suhair has been and how she makes some maybe unexpected career choices around that purpose. So with this in mind, I asked her how she developed this personal compass. I had three key takeaways. One, leaning into what makes you feel uncomfortable. Two, high quality mentors. And three, the importance of being okay with failure. Okay, so
1: what I will say is, um, I find it really annoying when people like explain their career in hindsight, and then it sounds really smart. So the truth is, in general, I'm always just struggling and figuring it out. And I'm always very envious of people who have uh, a plan mapped out or a passion mapped out. I went to the doctor today, and he was like, are you still with Google? Uh, That's really long. And I was like, well, you've been a doctor for like, since the first day (laughs) of your career. So I do think that it's interesting to think about like the options that are available for people that are maybe less specialized. Um, So I would say, and number one, um, you know, I started off thinking that I really thought I wanted to do finance in New York. And I think that was having a job that was sort of so intense and so focused made me realize that, you know, it's, and maybe I've realized over the years, it's not about working hard or putting in long hours. And I think we often confuse careers like finance or consulting with, oh, it's too long. It doesn't really matter. You're going to work hard pretty much in anything that you do, especially in your first you know, five, 10 years of your career, whether you're in creative industries or whether you're a doctor or whatever else. And I think it's really important to start to lean into what feels uncomfortable uh, early on. Uh, And it's hard because we have a lot of noise and we have a lot of judgment. I think the single biggest thing that has helped me is to have mentors. And I know people say this a lot, but it isn't about someone telling you they're your mentor or vice versa. It's about identifying people that you trust, that you look up to, and has always been one of my mentors, for example. Um, And that you know will probably be honest with you because that's the hardest stuff to hear, right? Is... um, this isn't right for you. You don't seem happy. I don't think you're doing very well. I don't think you're going to do very well. Um, And I think having that as a constant check-in and it'll change over time is really, has been very, for me, very important. Um, And I'm the kind of person that does depend on other people's advice and opinions. Some people are much more sure of themselves. And for me, it really matters. I love to be around people who can give me ideas, you know, often they'll introduce you to somebody uh that has some, another idea in mind for you. Uh So that's kind of served me accidentally uh well over the years. And I would say, always ask people for help. The worst that someone can do is say no or ignore you. And like, you know, that's, you know, getting that's, that's the least of it. And I think that, you know, when as you have access to a bigger and bigger pool of mentors or people that you think might be helpful, um, you know, as you go down the line, don't be afraid to call them, even if it's five years later, they will always remember you. Uh, And if anything, I think that they'll be happy. The second thing is, I think, you know, what you learn in tech companies, you have to be ready to fail and like i you know everything has an upside and a downside um when i started open ended design the reason i did it outside of google was not because google doesn't want to support interesting ideas in diversity and diversity in design it's because i didn't want to set up a platform that felt inauthentic to the people that were participating in it and so for me it was really hard because you know it was just me t- telling people you know i really believe in this and i believe in you and i want to tell your story but equally you're not going to have like the Google arts and culture, Instagram, you know, platforming you, are you interested in being part of a new kind of community? And that was really intimidating. And it still is, you know, and, uh, you know, I often wonder, like, you know, how people respond, whatever else. And then the final thing, I think, is just to set yourself, maybe if you non-negotiables I mean I know one of the questions was about values and your values will always change over time and it's hard to map them you know sometimes you just have to google like what are values and something will pop out at you and you'll say that's my value right now that matters to me more than it did three years ago or five years ago and I bet you all of us have probably had a slightly shifted sense of values in the last couple of years like it's just it's probably happened to everybody Um, and I think that's where you start to figure out right from wrong because work is hard having a boss is hard. If you're like me or Anne, you know, you'll have many bosses uh, and many people will have an opinion and who'll expect something from you. And for the most part, um, you're never really going to be happy with yourself and what you've accomplished, uh, even if other people are around you. So I have my, my biggest struggle is a sense of like never just feeling satisfied in the sense of feeling um, maybe always a bit unsettled, um, which is probably why, um, I keep shifting and moving, but having said that, I do think that you will all have a gut feeling if you're um, lent into your values, and that is the one thing that you always have to look at when you make decisions. And if I look back in hindsight, and if I'd stayed in investment banking, I would have been at like a very certain level by now. I would have made a certain amount of money. Um, I would have had a pr- particular kind of lifestyle. And similarly, if I'd done X, Y, and Z over my career. And probably for me, that's the stuff that I'm going to have to know not to regret. Um, And for each of you, like your choices will have, you know, you, you always have to flip between one thing or another. Not everything comes out perfect at the end of it.
0: So Harris managed the chaos of teams throughout her career at Google and most recently in her newly founded startup, Open Ended Design. I was curious about her philosophy in managing teams and if the same rules apply across your teams and organizations, especially now managing young people at her startup. I really resonated with her emphasis on leading teams by highlighting, encouraging, and bringing out diversity, using it as a strength and a qualifier rather than a weakness.
1: So I think I would have pretty much the same philosophy across the board. And what I would say is that yeah, so I'd say I would apply the same rules, whatever organization you're in, although it's probably very tempting uh, to, you know, be probably uh, more demanding, let's say, uh, of people at a big company where people are probably paid a lot more, and whatever else. Um, you know, I, the criticism I've gotten is that I worry a lot about um, everyone agreeing, like finding consensus um, and that, you know, I need to be more decisive. Uh, and make more executive decisions. I've always gotten this criticism, but I have personally found that, you know, I've tried to, you know, shift my style over time is take everyone's opinion into account and then make a decision and then tell everyone to go with it. Um, But personally, I also have felt um, that, it's worked really well for me to have things feel collaborative. Uh, Everyone doesn't have to have an opinion on everything, but making sure that people's opinions, not just that people feel valued, but that their opinions, their input um, is part of the narrative of a team uh, and that it's actually contributing to decisions being made. It might be a personal projection because I think often, especially in a large organization, um, you do feel like your voice is lost um and that for me has been you know really necessary the second thing that i've actually learned over the years and has been really obvious to me in running my team at open ended design because they have more space to speak up about their themselves um and you know where they're coming from why they're engaged in this uh has been the idea of obviously having more diverse teams means that you have probably smarter and more interesting decisions uh, that I made at the end of it so one of the women on my team is dyslexic and we had a really long conversation in fact a recording which is going to go up in a few weeks about her dyslexia how it affects the way she uh, processes thoughts how it affects decisions how she's able to absorb information more visual than listening etc so on and so forth and I realized at the end of it that at the end of every meeting I always wonder. her I wonder why she said that or I would never have thought of that and um, so I think personally now increasingly um, just being a lot more conscious of as much as you can of where your colleagues are coming from uh, even if they don't want to share you know intimate details uh, and giving them the space to speak up in a way that feels comfortable to for them um, it always leads to, I think, better decision making. And when you think of large organizations and how they're run, um, you know, it's a lot of people who are exactly the same, from the same backgrounds. They use data to think about uh, diversity, demographics, bringing technology to new audiences, uh, having young people still think that their products are cool. So I think that actually there's a lot more business good that can be done from this thing to more people. Um, So yeah so I'm in an ongoing I probably need to learn to be more decisive but equally it's worked really well for me you know people I have some people working with me on open-ended that work with me at Google Arts and Culture so I know that something has worked along the way they want to keep working with me um and and that for me is is the direction I want to keep going in um I think you know we've also passed a time for scale in how we manage teams and people. I think we're gonna have to come up with models that allow for smaller groups um, and and creating space for ideas. I don't think uh, people who feel like they are worthy wanna be turned into drones or robots um, and told what to do. Uh, And I think that's, you know, in terms of the the market as we go forward, um, you know, for young smart professionals if you want people to be inspired and excited you have to create space for them to have that. And I've had conversations in full transparency. People say, oh, you know, young people always, they always have, you know, they don't just put down and, you know, put their head down and work, you know, fine. Like I I did that, you know, my first years in investment banking, I learned a lot, um, but I don't think I felt valued or happy um, in that job. And I think that stuff is, you know, it, it needs to be considered. It needs to be
0: thought about more. Perhaps what has made Suhair such a great leader is her ability to connect and translate between people with ease. You won't be surprised to hear that she highlights these among her top three qualities. You might however be surprised by the third quality she describes.
1: I think um, I, I, I can connect with people. I, a part of it, I think, is probably being having moved a lot growing up and in my career and my work. I think I can connect with people and I connect people both ways. Um, I'm able to, I think, just feel comfortable with people from different backgrounds, whether it's professional, whether it's personal, and also to bring people together. Um, and that has, I think, helped me. In uh, the things that I've done well at in my career so far, um, is being able to do that. Um, I think another one is this restlessness, which I don't think is necessarily a good quality, but it's helped me to always move forward is to feel that, uh, you know, things can be pushed further. uh, Conversations can go in interesting directions. And uh, a lot of that comes with hustling. And that's something I think I've done always from the first day. And I think that, again, hustling is a little bit underrated. Uh, Just because you work for a very big company doesn't mean you don't need to hustle. Not everyone wants to do a project. Not everyone has time or resources resources or energy or budget. Uh, And I have done a lot of hustling for the projects that have done well in my career always. Um, And I don't know how to unpack that. But I think it means uh, when you know that you're passionate, when you know you want to get something done is to do everything to do it. And that can mean being pretty annoying. Um, It can mean calling in favors. Uh, But I think that has always helped to move things over the line. Uh, And I don't think we see that enough, especially in bigger organizations, because, um, you know, which is why you need to work on things that you feel passionate about, because otherwise you don't feel motivated to do that. And I mean, kind of to the first point. I think you know we don't always understand where someone is coming from, what they mean. Uh, if somebody is an engineer, they might be trying to share something with someone who's you know a user or might be relevant to them. But it doesn't always translate. And I think that's something that um, I've been able to
0: do well always is to be able to translate between people. With all of these projects and dreams, you might be wondering about the source of Suhair's creativity. How does she manage all of this without burning out? Where do the ideas come from when you don't have time to think? Perhaps most importantly, how do you find the time to implement these new ideas? I wasn't surprised when she shared some of the best practices I've seen among my CEO bosses. They all have a habit of listening, which is where their innovation and creativity comes from. Not enough people give themselves permission to prioritize thinking and vision. It's about pausing, active listening, and looking for new perspectives and common threads. You know
1: what? I think just, um, I think creativity is defined differently by different people. I think you have to keep doing things that make you happy. Um, And I think, again, like for last year, I just realized oh my god I love being outside it's you know we're so lucky to have nature to still have nature somewhere near us and I've done my best to spend as much time outdoors as I possibly have, have could and I actually ended up starting this other project a company that designs jewelry where by with local artisans in 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 Rawalpindi which is near Islamabad um and I did it because a lot of them are losing their skills because handmade handcrafted jewelry is more and more expensive and difficult to access. But then all of the profits go to wildlife conservation in the northern areas of Pakistan. And I realized, you know, over the last year, it just meant so much to me. I wanted to do something to give back. Uh, And the experience of being in the uh, outdoors and in the mountains was helping to design the jewelry it kind of designed itself to be honest um and that's how that project came about so I have felt like you know just letting go a little bit to the things that feel good um is really important I think for all of us obviously I'm sure you guys are all the same you know travel is always a source of um creativity for I think most people um and that's something that You know, we'll just have to figure out how to maybe do a bit differently, you know, the foreseeable future, but just not feeling stagnant in your surroundings. For me, I'm not very good with routines. I think this is like quite a qualifying factor. Some people do much better with routine, with structure. I just can't. Like I just it's it's the thing that makes me slow down, Um, but it's also extremely inefficient. Uh, because I need to keep shifting things up in order to feel like I I can keep going and have new ideas. And then finally, people, you know, I was saying earlier, and it's something that I think all of us uh, need to talk about more. And I I really want to work on this more is listening. Um, I think active listening is not talked about enough uh, in the workplace. Uh, You know, even in education settings, um, you have often uh, one person talking at you. um, And, uh, and I think, just listening to the person next to you uh, spending a, spending that effort to hear from them what they're actually saying or thinking is extremely inspiring also and will always spark new ideas um, often we're in a conversation we're just kind of listening to the thing we want the person to say so we ended without any new thoughts in our heads and I, I I've recently learned of this organization that's been started in Turkey and they're being built they're all built around the idea of active listening and they're now doing a fellowship at MIT uh, in order to create an institute of listening. Um, I forget, I'll send you, send you the name, but I think that's going to be really powerful. Um, you know, as we lean into a future where we just
0: there's too much noise and we need to focus more. To end our conversation, Suhair talked to us about how to handle disappointment, an inevitable part of living a life of ambition. Get ready, as this is probably one of the best answers I've ever heard to this question. She talks about how it's okay to be sad, to sit with your emotions, and to allow yourself to have multifaceted dreams. Your success is linked to how you process these negative emotions and feedback. If you allow yourself to have a more detached view, it'll be much easier for you to understand and act on them.
1: It varies. Sometimes I take disappointment terribly. I, you know, I don't have like one rule book for how I deal with disappointment, um, and I think. It depends as much on how much I care about the work or the whatever it is, the person, whatever it is, um, as much as probably external circumstances. So, for example, in the last year, a lot of things haven't gone my way but I've been much more like, well, (laughs) there's a pandemic, like just like focus on the things that matter and less kind of hung up on work stuff. But that's been by design. Uh, Like, you know, it's just been a deliberate choice is to say I have so much energy and I'm going to focus it. Um, And other times I think I've reacted really badly. So I don't have a formula for it. I think having other interests, um other priorities being around friends and family helps. Um, when I lived in Singapore, pretty much my whole life was traveling and working. And so if I found myself in Manila or Jakarta where I was just there for work. So I had friends and I had a nice time, but my purpose of being there was always that I work for Google. And I loved it. It was so exciting. Like you know I would be like one day in Shenzhen like investigating like the fake android phones and one day wherever um but that made it much harder uh when things didn't go my way with work that was like i you know it was really hard for me to get my head out of that space because that was really my purpose of living in asia physically being there um whereas being in london i found well you know art and culture is my passion anyway so um if a deal hasn't gone through um if i mess something up if uh I don't know. So, such like, some things were like obviously like in hindsight stupid. But um, you know, if if the thing that I wanted was didn't come to pass, if the failure was my fault, which has happened so many times, um, I was less less bothered at times. The thing that I've learned over time is feedback is hard. Like, feedback is hard for everybody, no matter how low your ego is. And to just always go into conversations where you know, at Google we have feedback all the time which is really important, I think, um, is to be open, to be thoughtful, to not react in the moment, to go back and think about it and to realize that people are usually coming from a good place uh, and they want to help you or they mean well for someone or something or the business. Um, And I think that's something to always keep in mind that feedback is important, but also difficult. Um, And then... In terms of like setting goals and expectations, Google Arts and Culture is a great example. I have had like, you know, I can't even count the number of people who come to me and said, I want to join Google, but I only want to join Google Arts and Culture because I only want to do art and tech. And every single conversation I've had to say, which is the truth is can't just have one dream and one job like this is if you know you have to think expansively and you have to think about the different avenues and pathways that life can take you down in order to get to a certain point and I think often all of us do this as we say I want that I want to be that person I want that person's job or career and um, that's not going to happen uh, but you will find your own path if you're inspired by them for the right reasons. And I think that's also, those kinds of disappointments are probably easier to avoid if you don't set unrealistic expectations for yourself, because they're in, in most cases, if you're so reductive, they might not actually uh, be worthwhile for you. Um, and then the final thing is, it's okay to be sad and upset. Like, that happens all the time. You know, you didn't get the promotion or the job where you really messed something up or you know everything fell apart at the last minute uh you know say i'm sorry it's my fault uh, you know try not to say i'm sorry i should do that too much um but you know just just like own it and be sad about it what like um th- there's a lot worse things that could end up happening than you having being disappointed with your work or your career um, and maybe I've like over-indexed, um, in some cases, um, but I do think like, it's okay to be like, that was really hard. And the other thing at Google, we're really lucky. We have like a lot of like career support. We have counseling. We have like, um, I've really, you know, mental health support is so important no matter who you are, where you live, like, especially at this moment of time, um, doesn't matter how senior junior you feel. doesn't matter how happy you successful. You feel, I think that's something that I talk about a lot. Um, you know I really feel like throughout my life it's always been something that I've known has been there and you know sometimes you don't realize um, that you need to unpack you know an experience or a moment or you're carrying something with you so you have the same experience every time in a role. Um, how much of it is something that you know you haven't realized you're going through um, that things like therapy and counseling can help you to unpack
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of bet on yourself If you'd like to learn more about Suhara's project, Open-Ended Design, you can visit the website at www.openended-design.org. She also has an amazing corresponding newsletter that I'll link for you in the show notes. It's a great resource for pulling together diverse voices and perspectives on creating a purposeful future. I'd love to hear your takeaways from this episode and how you'll be implementing these actions into your life. And please also rate, review, and subscribe to the Bet On Yourself podcast to help others discover it too. I really appreciate it. Now go make a big bet on yourself.